Next month, I anticipate returning to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Matthew. I'm actually quite excited for that. Uh, then, uh, then we got this little thing called Easter coming up a few weeks after that. Might take a detour because of that, and I'm okay about that. But I don't know about you guys, I'm just grateful to be behind the pulpit sharing the word this morning. So, praise God. Today's scripture is an interesting one, and I must admit my sermon comes half from the text that we see this morning, and actually half from some of those maps that you guys have in the back of your Bibles. Uh, I'm a visual learner, so I find those to be extremely helpful. Uh, The Pew Bibles, regretfully, do not have one, but if you have a personal Bible with you, and you might have some maps in the back of it, you might have one that says the 12 tribes of Israel or something like that. And if you were to look at that, if you were to pull it up, you'll see Asher and Naphtali up at the top. You'll see Simeon way down at the bottom, Judah towards the bottom with a large territory. And uh, you can really learn a lot just by studying one of those things. Uh, and, you know, most of the tribes you'll see are on the left side of the map. They're on the west side of the Jordan River. However, you'll notice that there's three tribes to the right, to the east of the river where you have East Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, the tribes that we were talking about this morning in this morning's text in in, uh, Numbers 32. But what's even more interesting is that if you have a map that displays Israel during Jesus' time, or if you have a map that says, you know, Israel during the time of Jesus, those tribes aren't there anymore. That land is now belonging to other provinces of that time. And frankly, if you compare one of those maps to a map of Israel today, you can go up online and look that up real quick. All of that is in the land of Jordan now. Interesting. What gives? What happened to these tribes? And the reason for this is ultimately that those tribes settled for less than what God intended to give them. And when you settle for less than what God desires for you, you have to be prepared to build your life on the sinking sand rather than the rock, rather than on a firm foundation. The context of Numbers 32 is that God has been leading Israel through the wilderness. The exodus had already happened. They've been going through the wilderness. They've spent almost the full 40 years wandering through the desert, through the wilderness. And now they are right there. The promised land is right there on the other side of this river. They are just about to arrive. Moses is about to deliver one final sermon that we now know is the book of Deuteronomy in just a little bit. He's going to pass the baton to Joshua, if you will. And Israel is finally going to take this land that they've been promised for 40 years. This land flowing with milk and honey, the scriptures say. These these idioms for great resources and great abundance, finally going to claim what's been promised to them all these years. And the, the generation that initially had come out of, um, of Egypt, you know, that one that was constantly complaining and saying, oh, we want to go back to Egypt. Oh, we got to go back. Oh, why did you lead us out here in the first place? Those complaint, that generation of complainers has largely passed away at this point. Except for, you know, the two men of faith, Joshua and Caleb, they're an exception. But there's this new generation ready. 
And while the prior generation was one of complainers, this one, you know, while largely was able to do great things under Joshua, there's a few of them who were compromisers. And look, compromise is not a bad thing unto itself. Compromise is a good thing. It's the only way things get done in politics, which is why nothing's getting done in politics today. Nobody's compromising, but that's another sermon. I'm going to step down from that. But yeah, compromise of itself, not a bad thing. Your session compromises, and that's how we get stuff done. But what you never, ever want to do is compromise spiritually. You never want to compromise spiritually with the things of God. And regretfully, that is what we're, that is what we see here as, as we enter Numbers 32, these two tribes of Reuben and Gad. And by the end of it, East Manasseh ends up getting pulled into it as well. They start looking around at the land that they're already in. Again, the land God wants them to have is right there. But here they are looking around at the land they're already in and they say, Hey, this isn't too bad. We kind of like it over here on this side. You know, this land is good for livestock. That's what we do. Why take the risk on the other side? Let's just stay here and settle for what we think is best. And that's not a terrible idea when it comes to business, for instance. You don't want to be greedy for more. There's a wise part where you say enough is enough. But this isn't about greed. This is about what God has said. This is about what God has intended for these people. And think about it, you know, he, God had told them, he's leading them into this better land, a land he promised he would bless them in, give them certain protections and give them certain promises for. And these tribes have the audacity to say, no thanks, God, I think we're good. I think we got everything that we need. This place is good enough. I know you say you got something good for us, but I, I, we kind of like this area. I think we found something better. I know I'm getting a little theatrical this morning, but I think we all see the point. And regretfully, we all do the same thing in our own hearts. And that's what I'm really concerned about this morning. Sometimes we are also tempted to do things our own way instead of doing things God's way. And, you know, let's do a little thought experiment for a second. Think about all the songs that you know. And if you were to pick one of them, you know, songs that you hear about on the radio, think, songs that you hear about, songs that your kids or grandkids might tell you about, what are, what are some of the songs that are most against God or the most against God's ways or the most for the things of this world and, for, and things that the enemy of our souls would be pleased in? What songs come to mind? Don't say it out loud, but just think about it for a second. Is it songs that promote gang violence? Songs to promote promiscuity or drugs. Uh, Rightfully so, those are all terrible things. But my mind goes to an interesting place. Maybe I'm just crazy, but mine, of all people, the first thing that actually comes to my mind, don't get angry with me, good old blue eyes Frank Sinatra. For his much more subtle, I did it my way. Not so obviously or overtly out there, but isn't, is that not the root of all sin? 
I did it my way. That paves the road for all the other stuff. All that other stuff that came to mind, that begins with the same heart. I'm going to do things my way. You have your own way. I'm going to do it my way. Yes, you guys can accuse me of reading too much into that, perhaps. But there's something to that, that way of thinking. Again, the root of all sins is, you know, I know what God says. I know what the Bible says. But... And then whatever comes after that but is a compromise. You know, I once had, a, my, my former seminary professor once said that there's only two types of people at the end of the day. People who say to God, thy will be done. People God says to them, thy will be done. Have it your way. Go ahead and do it your way. See how it works out. It's a scary thought. And that being said, make no mistake, these tribes that we're talking about this morning, they were absolutely wrong in their assessment of the land. Israel was a perfect land full of amazing natural resources. They would have been very happy there. Israel to this day is the third largest exporter of flowers worldwide. Did you know that? I didn't. One of the largest exporters to, uh, to Europe, actually. I think they're number one to Europe, if I remember correctly. They're a leading exporter in citrus fruits and exports $1.3 billion worth of agriculture every year. Yeah, these guys chose the wrong land. <laughs> and this is years later of where all these things are true. But sadly, this is not an isolated incident for these tribes. Story, the backstory on Reuben is a particularly sad one. Reuben, the man, was the firstborn son of Jacob, first in line to the family to, to the family blessing, first in line for the that he was going to receive the larger, the majority of the inheritance, and be heir to the tribal leadership after Jacob's passing. Or so it should have been. Reuben, however, was a man given over to his passions. He had no self-control. His own father in our first reading said he was unstable as water. You shall not succeed or you shall not have preeminence. And long story short, he, he made many mistakes out of passion. Other mistakes out of passivity when he knew what the right thing to do was and he refused to do it, which can be just as dangerous rather than standing up for what was right. And his descendants apparently took after Reuben, as here they are, allowing their passions and desire for immediate gratification get the best of them. And sadly, this isn't just an isolated incident for the Reubenites or the Gadites. Not a single significant prophet, priest, ruler of any kind would ever emerge from these two tribes in all the history of Israel. And so... And again, these should have been some of the foremost, some of the most influential tribes. It's sad to see it happen. And there's a, there's a cautionary tale to all of us. You can't expect an admirable legacy when you are led by your passions. The only ones who leave an admirable legacy, whether in scripture or in, or in your own life, are those who are led by convictions rather than to be led by your passions. It's a dangerous, slippery slope if you're led by your passions. That'll be a sermon for another time. 
But, but because of their compromised convictions, they, they allowed their, allowing their passions to push them away from God's best, they didn't experience God's protection and promises that he made to the rest of Israel. When, when the nation of Israel was attacked, the first, guess what the first tribes were to be taken into captivity? There were these three tribes. You know, they that river that they didn't want to go across, the, that river that they thought was there was better times on this side rather than that side, that river turned out to be a protection to them. The very thing that they were cursing and saying they didn't want, turns out was the thing that was best for them at the end of the day after all. <laughs> and you know, I, I, I think that there's a great parallel to, the, to us as, in our walk as Christians there. You know, sometimes we think that there, that, the the commandments of God and the things he asks for his people, that, oh, those are barriers to keep us away from fun, to keep us away from our sin, these, the things we want to indulge ourselves in. Why aren't you keeping back the good stuff, God? Well, sometimes those things are really there for our protection, whether we understand it or not. You know, skeptics to this day, you know, they read through the book of Exodus and Leviticus and they mock the dietary restrictions given to Israel and back in the day. And yes, those were given for a time for a nation of Israel, not for all people of all time. But they get mocked mercilessly to this day with what they're allowed to eat and what not to eat. Well, fast forward a few thousand years. Because modern scientists have been looking into a lot of that stuff, a lot of the things they said to eat, you can eat this, but not this, and you got to wash this and don't wash that. Modern scientists have looked at that and said, hey, look, if they followed this, they would have been spared from all kinds of plagues, all kinds of diseases that were just tearing apart the other nations of that time. They were spared by so much. They didn't know how to cook a lot of those unclean animals in a safe way. There's a lot of things that they they didn't even know what right questions to ask. But all they had to do, was if they just followed what God said to do, they would have been great. In fact, I I find this next part very fascinating. Not only was their understanding of how to treat leprosy in Leviticus 13 and 14 hundreds of years ahead of its time, it's actually the oldest written record of what we call quarantining a patient in history. It started with scripture. How fascinating is that? I mean, they didn't know that. I don't think Moses would have explained it to you that way. But they didn't have to fully understand it. They didn't have to know all the little implications. They just had to obey. They just had to do what it said, and God was going to protect them. The protection wasn't for those who understand everything perfectly. It was for those who just simply listened. You see, I don't have to just trust God with what I do understand. I trust God with what I don't understand yet. My friends, that, that's, that's faith right there in a nutshell. That's what faith is, trusting God with the things I do and don't understand. I may or may not understand why God wants me on this side of the river or that side of the river. But I don't, I don't, I don't have to. I just have to trust that He knows better than I. And likewise, it's, we might have questions. You may not understand why we subscribe to a particular, um, you know, so view of a social issue that as is outlined in the Bible. Why we subscribe to the Bible's view of a, of this or that topic. 
But that's okay. We just trust God. There's areas that have been fundamentally changed in my own heart just because, hey, well, the Bible says it. I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust it. Most of the time it works out. <laughs> All the time it works out. I just Some of them I'm still working on. But look, I think questions are okay. Noah had questions when he was building the ark, I'm sure. Until it started raining. <laughs> then he, then he, things started to make sense. I'm sure, a we know for a fact, Abraham had questions when he was leading Isaac up the mountain. Isaac sure had questions. Hey, we have, we got the wood for him. We got, we got all the things for a sacrifice except the sacrifice. What gives, dad? And Abraham wisely said, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. And thank God he did. The Lord knew the whole time. But both of them, both of those men took steps of faith in the right direction before they had their answers. Before they could make sense of it all. They started taking steps in the right direction and God blessed them and they received the blessing of it. Likewise, we don't have to fully understand all the implications of all that God asks us to do. All he asks is that we, well, that we trust and obey. A familiar hymn some of you guys might know. <laughs> it's been said before, but I really believe that one day all the scientists, mathematicians, philosophers, and doctors will finally reach the peak of all human knowledge. And as they do so, as they finally reach the summit, they will be greeted by a band of theologians that have been sitting there for centuries, as the old adage goes. So let's get practical as we're looking at this. How would your life look like? How would your life look different if you were 100% committed to living for Christ? What are you, if you are 100% committed to him, what are you doing? And just as importantly, what are you not doing anymore? And honestly, that's a great question to write down. That's a great question to just pencil on your bulletin right now and think through the implications when you get to your car later, when you go home and you're sitting in your living room after service or after the Bible study later and, you know, we've had a great time and you can come back to that question. But really give it time. You know, if I'm 100% committed to living for Christ, what am I doing now that I'm not do what am I doing then that I'm not doing now? And what have I stopped doing that I am doing now? And just as importantly, ask another question. Why am I not like that now? What's holding me back from that now? What irrational fear is holding you back from trusting that a perfect God who absolutely loves you has a better plan for you than you do? Because look, sometimes we forget that the God who had, who is sovereign and has all these plans for us actually loves us. I think sometimes, I mean, I think if I ask you the question, does God love you? You know the answer. <laughs> if I, but, but the tests of life don't look like that. They're not fill in the blank. They're life experience. Because look, I, I know people who seem to be convinced that if they gave their life to Christ, they would suddenly find themselves on some strange island covered in mosquitoes and spiders being chased by people trying to kill them. 
You've probably met people like that too. They just have this thought that if I give myself to Jesus, there, that's where he's going to send me. And when you kind of think about it, that kind of inherent in that idea is a rather ugly view of who God is. That God's just a trickster. He's going to trick me into committing myself to him so he could send me someplace I don't want to go. That's not who God is. That's not him at all. No, rather, the, the funny thing is, when you do actually talk to those missionaries who do go out there, who are going to the ends of the earth with the gospel, none of them felt like they were hoodwinked into going out there. Those who do go out there go because they, they love where God sent them. Because God gave them a heart for those people that they served. And they wanted to use their gifts towards telling these people about the good news about what Jesus has done for us. I have never met a missionary that was, that, that hated where they went or did not go where they wanted to go. In fact, you know, being honest, you know, when Ashley and I went to Haiti, you know, when we were first married many years ago, it wasn't because God sent us kicking and screaming. I can assure you that. No, we, we heard about a ministry that God was blessing and God was doing great things through this particular ministry at the time. They were looking for people with our particular giftings. We just wanted to help. And so we went down there for a short-term trip. I was grateful for what we were able to do down there. And that's the, that's the beauty of being a Christian. You know, the things I do aren't because anybody's making me. I've heard it said that being a Christian is about doing two things. It's about loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and doing what you want. Weren't said expecting that, were you? Now, we, we all know the two greatest commandments, the summary of the law, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, of strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But under the new covenant, as we are right now, hey, look, if you just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you commit yourself fully to his way, you're going to want to do the rest. So let's make it even more simple. Just do what you, do what you want as your heart is being changed to really love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And look, honestly, God's going to send us all different places. And based off of what your particular giftings are, what your particular heart is, I don't think there's a world where God would ever send me to work as the church treasurer, God forbid. My mind doesn't work like that. That would be torturous. That would be unhelpful for me or for you guys. So I know God's not going to do that for me. So, uh, but whatever your particular giftings are, what your particular heart is, you know, you just be, might be amazed at the ways God could use who you are, the passions He's given you, the love He has given you for particular people to bless others. So, don't think island. <laughs> think about, hey, where, maybe where in South Amboy could God use me? What people do I already know and love could God use me to be a blessing to? Something to think about. So as some of us will probably realize later as we're doing our homework with those questions I gave you before, or perhaps you're realizing now, maybe some of us have more in common with these Reubenites and Gadites than we're comfortable admitting. Or at least how we first thought. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah, John, that's me, or at least more of me than I want it to be. 
I'm not fully committed. I got, I got one foot on this end of the river and one foot on this end of the river. The problem is, it's a river in there. You're drowning. <laughs> if, if you stretch out that analogy, I don't know. But maybe, maybe, maybe that is you. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I've been settling less for what God has had for me. Maybe I've been content with sin in my life. Thinking, you know, I know this isn't where God wants me to be. I know that he has a better plan, but this is okay. I don't need to be that holy. I don't need to be that pleasing to God. This is okay for now. I'm content with this. And look, if you're content with just a little piece of God in your life, I don't know if we're talking about the same God. The God who I love, the God who I know, the God who's revealed himself to me in Scripture He's worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. He's worthy of all of our attention and commitment. I mean, Jesus laid down his very life for us, taking the penalty we deserve for our sins. How can I not live in response to that? How can I? I think a message like this is simply, hey, live like we believe the things we say we believe. That's what it comes down to. So don't be like others who say, you know, I, I know I should put God first, but there's this other thing that really means more to me right now, something that really needs my attention right now. And whatever blank you would finish that sentence with, whatever hobby, passion, program, or tradition you would fill in that blank with might be what makes you a Reubenite or a Gadite this morning. It's a tough thought. And look, I've had seasons where that's been me. Don't have time to unpack it, but there's been seasons where that's been me. uh, What changes is simply that, that that, that repentance, that changing your mind, saying, hey, I don't want that to be me anymore. I'm turning back to you, Jesus. I'm coming, I'm looking to you. I'm put, giving you the priority that you deserve to have in my life. Because that thing just might be what keeps you out of God's best, that keeps you from experiencing the wonder of the riches we have in Christ, the, the better land, the promised land, the great, the greater, richer spiritual promises we have in Christ that he's meant for his people to have and to enjoy. No, I, I read an interesting article this week where a particular person compiled how many promises God has made to man throughout the scriptures. And since I have uh, two jobs in a family, I don't think I'm going to be cor- <laughs> doing my own research. I'm content to just use his statistics this morning. I think he might have double counted some of them. or I think some of these are you know just for Israel or just for an individual, but... Nevertheless, he said somewhere around 7,000 promises God has made to man throughout the scriptures. And they're beautiful promises when you look at them. Like Philippians 4.19 that says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful promise. He'll supply every need? Wow. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
You're saying God has a sovereign plan for every single thing in my life? Not a thing is wasted? And you're going to work that all together somehow for my good? Wow. Or Isaiah 40, 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I know that's, an import, that's a powerful verse for a lot of people here. And if you guys have the time, I've got somewhere around 6,997 more for you. <laughs> At some point, we got to go home. But guys, my, my point is this. There are, God has so much in store, such great riches of his promises for those who love him. Why would we shortchange ourselves? Why would we settle for less than that? Why would we stop from on this side of the river, when I could have that. Don't you want those promises for your own life? Don't you want those promises for your own family, for your own kids? Of course you do. Why would we choose then to live outside of those promises? It makes no sense when we think about it. If that's what spiritual compromise does. It doesn't make sense. And yet it robs us of our joy. So guys, as we bring it to a close, don't do what these tribes did. Let's learn from their example. Let's, don't be content for second best when there's a God who loves you, who knows you, and has a better plan for your life than you do. So let, let's resist whatever temptations we're going to face this week where we're tempted to settle for less, when we're tempted to do things my way instead of God's way, when we're tempted to sin and do things that God says don't do, or be engaged in things other um, that at the expense of spending time with God and investing in that relationship. Because guys, know that the blessing is in God's will, not going against it. And let's finally have a heart that says, take all this stuff. The world can have the things of this world. Take whatever's on that other, other side of that river. You can have whatever's on the other side of the Jordan. I want what God has for me. You can have whatever I'm tempted by. I want what God has for me. I trust that his ways are better than my ways. Take all that stuff. Just let me have Jesus. Let me have the treasure of him and who he is. He is the treasure we desire more than anything else in this world. He is more than enough for us. Our blessed treasure and exceedingly great reward that Abraham said he was. Amen, church? Amen. Thanks be to God.